2: Hello
0: and welcome to the Anglo-Italian podcast for this Monday Night Live. You may have noticed that we are missing a certain co-host, that is Rory. He's currently having some difficulties with his laptop, so uh, he will join us at some point. But for now, Happy New Year to you all. I'm going to just flag myself through this as we go along until Rory appears. But more importantly, I'm joined by Ben. And Ben, mate, how are you doing this fine evening,
1: Very good, thank you. I'm in very good spirits, despite uh, the FA Cup draw that's just landed on our lap for (laughs) Tottenham. But, you know, we move. We move. Exactly. If you want to be the best, you've got to beat the best. So, (laughs) but yeah, I'm good. I'm very good. Thank you. Good stuff. And did you have
0: a good break as well?
1: Yeah, it was nice. It was kind of like getting back into the swing of things that first week back and all that after the new year. But I think we're, you know, we're back. We're good to go. And lots of football. To talk about, which is exactly. obviously the main thing.
0: Exactly, and he's joined us. He is on his phone. I'm here, guys. Great I'm here. I you, apologize. Great to have you. Don't <laughs> worry, mate. We blagged it. We've got to this stage, so now I'm going to hand over to you, mate. But. Let's start off by saying Happy New Year. on now as well. And uh, it's great seeing you back in the UK. Obviously, you saw your mighty crew as well. Was it a 50% win ratio as well for you, was
2: it? Yeah. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> the whole Christmas period was a bit slim when it came to football results. But the Alex, they pulled that out of the bag at the last minute and um, ground out the biggest shithouse 1-0 win against Bradford City. Scored in the 12th minute. And from that moment, me and my mate were sat there going, okay 78 minutes to go here we go 64 <laughs> minutes to go like counting the minutes down but we managed to get the result uh, so that was a nice little bonus at christmas but yeah good to be back in the uk good to see your lovely faces guys um and not the best start to 2024 in terms of technology but we will get there um loads to talk about as ben said in today's show we've got um the fa cup to talk about we do have a lot of serie a action napoli looking in a lot of trouble Juve up to their old tricks again, scoring in the very last minute, and Inter doing the same, Inter kind of copying them a little bit. Um, And Adam, in the FA Cup, what are we going to be talking about? Please don't say Arsenal.
0: Ah, uh, I thought we'd talk about Arsenal. Um, we're we'll talk good, yeah, obviously. Um, because there was a good strike by Pedro Porro there. Um, but more importantly, we'll talk about those shocks as well, Rory. Because obviously, Maidstone, or as you said, Maidenhead in our little chat <laughs> yesterday, I knew I was um, going to get it wrong quite well. They did quite well, to be fair. And uh, we've got a few ties that could set up for some juicy uh. Kind of non leaguers potentially, you know, maybe making a storm against Man United. I don't know. We'll see if Eastley can pull off the win against uh, Newport County to face potentially Man United. But we'll talk about that and more as we go along. And obviously, we've got to talk about transfers as well, Rory, because Roger Dragerson is obviously on Ben's lips at the moment. He's been talking about yeah. it on TikTok quite avidly and trying to prepare Spurs fans to make sure that Bayern Munich aren't going to gazump them. Unlike in the Serie A, where a lot of teams seem to be consulting everyone else, don't they, uh, Rory? We did see mm-hmm. Dean Heiss obviously go to Roma instead of Frosinone. So, uh, yeah, a lot of that chats. I'm sure we'll do that. But uh, enough about me. Let's talk about the football.
2: Beautiful. Well, let's start. Should we start in Serie a? Are we starting in Serie A?
0: we can do if you want to yeah
2: let's do it let's start in Serie A and let's start with I think the biggest shock of the weekend maybe was it a shock let's start in Turin I feel like it was the biggest headline of the weekend and as Torino beat Napoli for the first time since 2015 a huge uh, curse Napoli have had over um Lagranata but Torino managed to put them to the sword Now, I did sit and watch this game Sunday, the entirety of yesterday, was sat watching football. It was beautiful until Arsenal kicked off. And Torino were just unbelievable. I don't know about you, Adam, but it was the first time for a while that I've seen Napoli just give up possession. Um, Mm. It felt like they allowed, not only were they not able to get the ball, but they allowed Torino to have the ball. And it feels like a real change in direction, not for the positive that's happened at Napoli under under, uh, Matsari, right? Do you think this is down to him?
0: I think there's got to be a combination of blames there, Um, but certainly you have to look at the record since Mazzari's come in and it's not looking too pretty. Um, Obviously I did a few posts recently on our Instagram account about speculative kind of signings at the moment, based on rumours and what I've been reading up on. And uh, when you look at what the things that you need to address, they've conceded 16 goals prior to this weekend in eight matches. That's across all competitions. And that includes that four uh, nil defeat at home to uh, who was it? Frozenone, I think it was Frozenone. Yeah, in the Coppa Italia. So um, yeah, you obviously add another three goals, and you're like, this defence, this whole team doesn't still seem to be gelling together. And you're right. Look, I mean, Torino aren't anything special, but they made it look seamless. And uh, you know, when you've got Bonjorno who scored that third goal, magnificent header as it was. But it goes to show you that no one was picking up anyone in that particular incident. Mm-hmm. And um, just that wouldn't have happened with the Napoli of last year. Let's put it that way. It's these kind of mistakes that you're seeing right now. And I think that's fed into the players' mentalities. You've seen the rumours about Zielinski moving potentially on as well, because he's entering the last six months of his contracts. Mazzocchi obviously been bought in. Terrible day for him. Um, But I just, I don't think if you look at most kind of Napoli fans reaction to that match, they weren't complimentary. They're like, get rid of this fool now. Mm -hmm. Like they've got a lot of respect for him, but it's not working out for them. And I'm sure you can kind of talk to us about the match itself because I saw only the highlights, but I mean, it was bad enough on the highlights itself.
2: Yeah, it was it was terrible. It was just really tepid. I think there's been a few performances where Napoli just haven't shown anywhere near the amount of effort or fight. Like, even under Garcia's, as uninspiring as they were, there were moments when you felt like they were really fighting for the manager. They got a few results where you think, okay, Garcia's got that team spirit. They were kind of grinding out some results. Under Matsari, it just feels like none of it's working. I feel like Matsuki has been a decent player, but even as, a, even as a transfer, it kind of surprised me. I don't think it's the type of signing that Napoli will be making six months ago, a year ago, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with the game, they was just they made it so, so comfortable for, for Torino. And I think in the, in the first half, Torino easily should have been more than 1-0 ahead. Um, I think the midfield was absolutely nowhere. Um, Lobotka having a particularly bad game, Zielinski, there's a lot of clips of Zielinski just not chasing off the ball, not mm. pressing. Um, it just feels like a complete lack of effort. And for Torino, they were just there. I think I said it to to you, Adam, like mm. they didn't have to be good. They just had to be competent. No. <laughs> I think, it's like, true. We saw Mario Rui looking, getting caught out of position, looking every mm. day of his age. And just a lot of these players that um, Spalletti was getting a lot out of, it just wasn't really Mm. there. But I want to be quite complimentary about Torino because I think their front three on their day. Mm. Um, Vlasic, Vlasic, um, Zapata and Sanabria are very, very dangerous when they play well. Now, what they need Mm. is more consistency. With this win, they've kind of put themselves in the European hunt, weirdly. They're only five points (laughs) off the top four now. It's super, super tight up there. Um, Mm. But... Adam, I'm going to throw it back to you. Do you think Jurich can get the consistency there? Because that's always been Torino's issue. They finish 12th because they win one week and then lose next, then win, then lose. Do you think they can actually get that consistency and can he get that front three fully firing?
0: I mean, I think if you look at the group of teams that are in that mix, they all seem to have their moments, don't they? They don't seem to be consistent at the moment in terms of the runs that they're doing right now. So there's always a possibility, right? But I've always felt with Torino over the years... They, they have just missed a bit of quality in terms of their depth. So as soon as one major player goes out of the squad, then they do struggle. And it's about getting that consistent run, as you rightly allude to. So I think what's key is what business they do in this window, because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of players that are being kind of on the outside potentially being linked with them but not 100 percent. so i alluded to likes of belotti potentially being linked because roma needs
2: to back. players back.
0: i mean imagine that but personally the player i'd love to see is always been linked with them is yassin adli because he's not mm-hmm. getting a fair run at milan this was a kind of player that could really develop under Juric. he has this kind of knack doesn't he Rory, of developing players and They eventually move on, right? And I think that's the ideal kind of combination. But the problem is, is what's happening with Pioli? What's happening with uh, Milan? And ironically, this weekend, Yasin Atli did play. So it's one of those weird ones, isn't it, to be fair? But I mean... He did play
2: quite well as well, Atli. I thought he played pretty well. He's a player that's always kind of stood out to me when I've seen him. But Ben... You are our resident um, Antonio Conte expert. He was in attendance um, at the at the Stadio uh, Olimpico, or Stadio yeah. degli Alpi. Sorry, he was in attendance. As was Gianlu uh, Ventura, the old Italy yeah. manager. Would do you think Napoli can change their manager again? Do you think they should change their manager again and just bring in Conte and get just pay a manager? Just pay a manager properly.
1: Yeah, it feels like Conte. He's either like the perfect manager to go in there or he'll either just add to the shitstorm that's already going on. Yeah. And I just don't like it's I generally I'm not sure which way it would go because I do feel like like we saw it at Spurs when Conte walked through the door, we were in a you know dire straits with Nuno. Um, even though on the surface things didn't seem that bad. It's just that you just knew there was no like in terms of looking into the future, you just knew that this wasn't going anywhere, and it was just like one. Poor result and one poor, kind of, you know, far from encouraging performance, too many. And I think Conte was the perfect manager that we needed at that time. Well, it seemed like it, but with Napoli, you could, you can kind of compare the situations. But I think it's weird with Napoli because they're on a come down after, you know, an incredible season last year, whereas we weren't in that situation. And maybe they're, in a better place to bring someone like that through the door because they want to get back to that level of competing for the title and competing in the Champions League but i just feel like with his kind of nature i'm sure he'd be you know he's been out of the management game for nearly a year now i'm sure he does want to get back into it at some point so we could see a different you know hungry antonio conte but You know, we always see that for the first 12 months, 18 Mm -hmm. months. And then after that, it kind of fades that the mask slips. So
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I'm not sure whether it's what they need for the long term, but maybe right now. It's just that obviously they've changed manager already. Does it... Would you? I don't know. I feel like teams that if you go through like more than two or three managers in the season, you're essentially just writing off the campaign. And I don't think Napoli are in it. They're not in that position to do that. Like, although the results haven't been great, they're still... They're still. They could still easily get into European places and maybe mm-hmm. Conte is the man to kind of bring that back in the short term <clears throat> and get them competing for the Europa League potentially even the Champions League. I mean they're only five points off the top four so mm. who knows and we were in a similar position when he came into us obviously he came to Spurs uh, in November I think it was so he had more time to work with the players but we were further off top four than Napoli are now so if they mm-hmm. were to bring in Conte and if that's what their ambitions are then It would make sense, but I just, you know, I'm kind of scarred by the last (laughs) year or so at Spurs. So maybe I'm not the best person to ask, but yeah, who knows? I think obviously there's been rumours about it for a while, about Conte going back and getting back into management. And we all knew that it'd be in Serie A. It felt like it was either going to be Juve or Napoli. And I think maybe a couple more bad results for Napoli. and I think he could be in the door, especially, like you said, it's very interesting that he was there. So We'll see. It's definitely one to keep an eye on. And it could happen quite quickly, I feel.
2: Yeah, I feel like he is just, it felt like the ghost at the feast, if you know me, Just looking yeah. over as Mazzani was kind of sat right next to him because, of course, he was. He had a touchline ban. They weren't far from each other, but it did feel like Conte was there just observing. Well, Napoli are currently on course to be the worst defending champions in Serie A history. The record was set by AC Milan in the 96-97 season, I think it was, where they finished 11th. Napoli are currently 22 points worse off mm-hmm. than they were at this point last season. It is beyond damning. Um, Adam, where do you stand on the replacing Matsadi thinks thing? Because it feels like this season has already been written off to me. Obviously, Awesome yep. away at AFCON as well, which definitely doesn't help. But where do you stand? Do you, would you be pulling the trigger? Because I would definitely just be paying properly.
0: I think that you have to kind of start considering it because it's just not worked, has it? Um, mm-hmm. But the problem is... Laurentis, I don't I think he's quite stubborn I think he's going to give him the shot to turn it around I don't think necessarily it's all over but that said you know the whole team needs changing to be fair at this stage um there's definitely an attitude aspects now with the individuals in the squad Um, But the problem is uh, De sees himself as this figure that is a director of football. He's going to do all the wheeling and dealing. And unfortunately, for every incoming manager, they have to deal with him. That's the problem. So he has a bit of a loose head on him. At times, he can just randomly make sporadic decisions that kind of disrupt the uh, rhythm of the team as well. So I think that's the problem that you have to deal with. And I think that's possibly why Conte didn't initially join Napoli when he had the mm-hmm. chance. Because if, remember, there was all those rumours of potential meetings in Rome with De Laurentiis, um, and it never transpired because, unfortunately, there seems to be a disagreement. I seem to recall the kind of... Conversation between him and Tiago Mota, which was Tiago Mota asking who's in charge of the kind of day to day and the transfer dealing. And he said, Me. Well, and Tiago Mota was, not you serious? Like, no, I'm not going to deal with you about those kind of matters. So, you know, that's the problem. I think the progressive aspect that they lost under the previous regime has now gone. They have to rethink, they have to do a whole new strategization of that kind of setup. I just don't think it's going to work, unfortunately. And I think Napoli fans are fearing the worst. Obviously, De Laurentiis is is hailed up as this guy that rescued Napoli in the first place. But I think he's quickly killing off that legacy after this title win. And that's unfortunate for Napoli right now. So um, whatever happens, it's a disastrous season, right, Rory?
2: Yeah, it has gone as bad, even worse than we could have considered, really. So that's ten games, six losses, three wins and one draw for Mazzardi since he took over. Um, And they are looking like they might even struggle to be in the Conference League next year. Sorry, Napoli fans, not much to really smile about at the moment, but I have seen lots of Napoli fans pleading... With the fact that uh, uh, De Laurentiis might step down, I cannot see it myself. Um, yep. I think that Napoli is definitely the the bigger treasure than Barri. Uh, I think he's going to be holding <laughs> on to Napoli a lot longer. Uh, but we're going to leave Napoli there for now. We're going to put the fans out of their misery and let's go to the let's go to the title race. Um, and let's start mm-hmm. in Milan. Let's start with Inter two, Verona one. Everyone. I thought Inter would make this a lot more comfortable than they did. But then, of course, Pazza, Inter, return. Martinez scoring again in the 13th minute. Thomas Henri, friend of the show, mm. getting the equaliser late on before Lazovic is sent off. And Fratesi in the 93rd minute pulls a Mooney to the Cordova but sends them into raptures and gets a huge, huge win. The celebrations were incredible. Ben, did you see
1: this? Yeah, it was quality. It was so, so good. It's just absolute carnage, wasn't it?
2: It was, it was the moment I think Taram has him on his shoulders just marching him up and down the pitch. Like yeah. You could see how absolutely huge that win was. And I think, unfortunately, despite the win, the main headlines I saw and the main complaints I saw, Adam, were from Inter fans just in, aghast at how bad Marco Anatovic was in this game for €10 million. Euros. It was incredible, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, some of the misses were just... Out of this world, like different level. Like we've seen him as worse at Stoke City, but this was a different level of a yeah. Marko It was that header, obviously prior to that kind of build up to the corner where Fratesi does score. Um, that miss where it seemed easier just to touch it in. That was the one that you just couldn't believe. But yeah, there was a few incidents. There was also a few clips, um, kind of his touches, his first touch kind of reminds you of Lukaku. Do you remember last season where he completely stuffed a corner? And um, Yeah, unfortunately, it could have been even worse. To be fair, it wasn't just all Arnautovic's fault. Um, There was a few Mm. kind of relaxed performances on the day and obviously they gave away that very late penalty which you saw the from DeMarco against Thomas mm-hmm. Henry for missing that penalty um but yeah I mean Inter can count themselves lucky obviously I'm sure you've seen the papers Rory about VAR and that decision around Bastoni whether that should have uh potentially <sighs> been something I mean obviously I I feel there's nothing in it because Juventus no. always get away with it as well. Well,
2: the thing is, I, I don't know if you've seen this, Ben, but Juve fans were absolutely crying about this should have been a red card. I honestly, I saw the greatest comment I saw on it was if that was in Serie Chi, they call it a love tap. Like there was absolutely <laughs> nothing in it, but Juve fans getting very upset. Did you think there was any controversy here, Ben?
1: Not for me. I don't like. I don't. Uh, yeah. I've only seen it a couple of times, but I've, mm-hmm. I don't. It's definitely not worth the kind of like discussion that's been had around it, Yeah, for sure. Like I didn't even really think of it as a talking point, but then like you said, it no. kind of just seems like it's blown up. But the game was just crazy. Like it was just absolutely crazy. Those kind of scenes at the end, like, and the fact that like Bastoni was it Bastoni with the volley against the bar before, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 the yeah. Back into the area. It was just like it was one of those games where it almost felt like I think Inter probably went into it maybe a little bit complacent almost and yeah. kind of saw it as one of those games where they thought this is you know three points at home um but yeah and they kind of had to do it in the sort of fashion that juventus have been nicking those sorts of wins with but i think it, they were knocking at the door through most of the game and like you said on is kind of complacency in front of goal like the only chance that i saw of him was that chance just before the goal i think it was the header from close mm-hmm. range it was just like seemed one of those ones that was easy to uh easy to score the miss um but the thing is, when you've got, I guess, when you've got someone like Latoro alongside him, who's averaging over a goal a game or got over a goal contribution a game now, for Inter, I think it's yeah. 16 goals and two assists in yeah, seventeen yeah. games, which is just nuts. Like, and the finish as well, like it looked easy, but the, just the like calm toe poke finish was just like so so cold from. Martinez but you know they might have scraped over the line but sometimes those wins are most satisfying Mm -hmm. and like there's always the cliches of like oh that's a sort of win of champions and you know we've been critical of Uwe for like scraping over the line but with Inter it feels more like that feels like a get that felt like an anomaly rather than the way Mm -hmm. that they have been winning and sometimes you have to kind of win that way whereas like with other teams it doesn't always feel like that it's a bit like you know like a bit like Man United in the sense that like there's a sense of like they can't keep getting away with it, but like <laughs> if City were to win like that, it wouldn't be perceived in the same way. Which is kind of how I feel about Inter and Juve. Um, yeah, but yeah, mental, mental game.
2: No, I think I think you spot. I think you've hit something there because I think this was a touch of arrogance from Inter. I think they were getting a little bit complacent, and maybe this would be. Mm. A bit of a wake up call to them, like Adam. Do you think this is? It was a close shave. Do you think this could kick them back into gear? Because it did feel like now. Obviously, Verona will cover them quickly after this, but it did feel like they into thought they just turn up and win, right?
0: Yeah, it did feel like that, and uh, I think there's always going to be that element that this part of the season they're going to have to start rethinking how they approach it because they started rotating it in the previous game, didn't they? Against Genoa, and obviously they got their draw. And then obviously going into this, they ideally needed to win this. Obviously got lucky because I think on the day, Hellas Verona were really good value for a point anyway as a minimum Mm -hmm. of this game. But yeah, I think obviously it's got to start kind of cementing that kind of thought of if we really want to challenge for this Scudetto this season, then we've got to give it our all in every game. Can't afford to go half assed and expect teams to roll over. Um, And I think it's good that they've got a bit of pressure behind them in Juventus and to a latter extent, Milan as well, because that kind of pressure means it's not going to be straightforward for the rest of the season. And I know Inzaghi is trying to think of ways of how they can keep it fresh. I suspect there will still be more business, Rory, And we should anticipate at least alone, potentially because we know about the issues that Italian clubs are going to face now in this transfer window, uh, given the recent tax change uh, has Mm. meant that they're going to have to rejig how they approach it. And um, there's a lot of conversations around potentially how does that work out for the existing players that have been bought on this kind of tax scheme as well. So um Yeah, I suspect there'll be one round of at least business this window and it'll be interesting to see what the future holds. But I'm sure we'll cover that on another episode as well.
2: We could be, or we should, be covering it on Thursday, I think. Um, but for Verona, this is kind of troubling times. Obviously, as you alluded to at the beginning of the show, they've lost Hain. Um, there's rumours now that Terraciano is going to be joining AC Milan. Uh, there's rumours about Ngonj going. Lots of players suddenly being linked to move away. It feels very much like a fire sale in anticipation for relegation. Um Adam, do you think this is Verona kind of trying to cash in while they can, knowing that they're probably up against it? It's
0: weird, isn't it? Because they did exactly the same thing last yeah. kind of general <laughs> yeah. And I expected them to go down that season. Yeah. Unfortunately, they had a shit side in Spezia, just who couldn't mm-hmm. turn up. Um This time around, I'm I'm really a bit fearful for them because I think they are trying to milk it a bit too much. I I don't know what the issues are financially, but it seems like every kind of window we go into, they're financially really strapped. And um, I wonder if Marco Baroni regrets now moving away from Lecce and taking that role because it just feels like whoever goes in there you lose all your key players every yeah. window. And it just feels like you can't build anything with that squad, which is unfortunate because I saw Isaac Hien come on against Aroma last night and he looks quite handy. <laughs> I couldn't believe <laughs> it, but he's been good in the odd match that I've seen him, but he actually looks quite handy. He made Lukaku just bounce off him and Lukaku just like, didn't know what was going on. So I think he's going to be a really useful addition, but like you say, Ciro and Gonj, he's incredible. I mean, the fact that Aston Villa potentially toying with a nine million bid, I think I'm surprised there's not more clubs after him, uh, given the kind of space that he creates, what he can do. He's a full Belgium international, as far as I know. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, potential there as well. So he's a really good player as well. And um, what was the other one that left? Uh, And Terichano, as he mentioned. yes, Went to... um, Very exciting young player. I think he's pretty much on the cusp. He's already signed, Mm -hmm. I think, terms, if I'm not mistaken. So... Yeah, um, it's not looking too healthy, but I suppose in favour of Hellas Verona, there are three worst sides at this moment in time. So it's just a question of who does the business right now and who's got the better squad after the window as well. Um, I'd fear for Hellas Verona though, because they haven't looked great in most of the games
2: this season. No, well, we've called them the Sunderland of the league for a while, haven't we? They've been <laughs> circling, the, circling the drain for so long. But weirdly, they are still two points better off at this point this season than they were last anyway, season. Lost. As bad as it looks, it was even worse last season. Um and the last game I think we're going to cover in depth in Serie. A. Let's do it. Salanitana won, Juventus two. Um, the universe could only hold off for so long. There's no way they could stop Selenitana from conceding in the last minute and stop Juve from scoring in the last minute. Um Vlavic finally gets his goal, his goal from open play. It feels like it's been a while. In the 91st minute, he gets the winner and Another player that Spurs have been looking at, Samuel Illing Jr. opening mm. the, uh, no, equalizing for Juve. Equalizing. Um, but they get the job done. Um, they keep pace with Inter, keep the title race alive. Um, ben, do you think this is the sign of champions? They just keep going.
1: Well, yeah, I think they're going to be there all the way. I think that just, they're kind of that like irritance mm-hmm. to Inter that just won't leave them alone almost. Mm-hmm. that they'll feel like, like I said, I'm not, there's kind of two ways of doing it and although Inter one in very similar circumstances with a winner at the death not playing that well that you know and like I said we've been critical of Juve for that multiple times but at the same time you you can't say that Inter kind of have the strength of champions without labelling that at Juventus as well but for me Juventus it kind of feels like that's the norm rather than the mm. you kind of the anomaly whereas Inter that performance felt like the exception to the rule rather than the exception that proves the rule but the, the thing is when you've got there was two just real moments of quality for Juve that won it. That was a great header from Vlahovic, mm-hmm. And the Illing Junior's finish as well was really emphatic. Like, I know he had a lot of time and space in the box, but he still put it away. Um, I thought all three goals in the game were really good as well. It was a great finish for 1-0. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did feel like a sort of typical typical Juve win this season. But, they, you, you know, you can't rule them out. They're only two points behind Inter. And the fact that they've kind of got to this point, you kind of maybe would have thought that... Um, if they were continuing to win like that, there must be something more in it because I don't think they would have got this far still on mm. their coattails. You know, we're over halfway through the season now, only just, but you know, we're over, we're into the second half of the season and they're still there. They're still only two points behind, um, so it would be very interesting. I don't know when I don't know when they play each other again. Um, I'd imagine it's probably towards near the end of the season, but that feels like obviously that's gonna be a huge game. And if Juve can kind of stay in that touching distance until then and go to the San Siro and either get a draw or get something then who knows but yeah i think you said you definitely have to say that it's kind of the the spirit of champions for sure whether it's the quality whether the quality matches up with that like it does with inter i'm not 100 percent sure <laughs> but you know it's a long way to go <clears throat> mm. um and adam
2: Selenitana, they came so so close to making history to getting a huge result they just can't get it done can they
0: they can't, unfortunately. They really can't. Um, they were so unlucky in this match. And in fairness, I think Juventus were quite lucky um, because Salonatana, obviously, they clearly saved the players for this match. Because if you remember, two days ago, they lost 6 1 to Juventus in the Coppa Italia. And that's where Chiesa was running riot. And Juventus fans were actually jumping for joy because they saw this incredible, like, attacking Juventus side. So it was just. Like a contrast, they obviously had a game plan, which was they were saving those players for this match, and they were so unlucky. Obviously, I think if the player doesn't get sent off, which is Legori, um, who scored the goal as well, if he doesn't get sent off, potentially they hold on. Even if it's just a point, I think they do enough. And mm-hmm. I think the events were getting very frustrated because McKenny had some chances in this match. Rabia was trying to break through, and he couldn't connect on some of those kind of through balls as well. So I think... This was a opportunity that I can see, and what Ben alluded to is the inter match against Juventus. That's actually in about three weeks' time. That's going to be a big match in Inter. Um, so, yeah, let's see where both teams are at this point. But that means that you've still got a solid two months of football before the end of the season. So, mm-hmm. I think there's still whatever the result happens. I think there's a lot more that will go on, and it's I think it. <laughs> unfortunately might go in the favor of the events because they don't have european football to worry about and that's what worries me um i say worries me it's not that i support inter but i just don't want them to win that's all it is no. rory <laughs> just...
2: i think I, I think juve really jumped on the grenade this year and it could really really like benefit them the fact that they kind of took the european ban and took it in the year that they got the conference league if you know what i mean and they were just like right yeah let's just and it, they really, it could have been very good future planning from a club that's used to kind of planning the future around breaking rules, right? They get, they've got a lot of practice in this, um, but yeah, it feels like they could really, really get a benefit from this. Just before we move on from Serie A, I wanted to very quickly just recap the fact that from fourth place all the way down to 10th uh, is separated by six points. So the race for European football, absolutely massive. massive. Um Fiorentina losing 1-0, they just cannot get any consistency, a huge loss there, um, Sassuolo again just being the pain in the arse that they <laughs> always are, Atalanta getting a hard-fought draw against Roma to keep themselves in the fight, and Torino, as you said, with that massive win. Adam, you watched Atalanta-Roma, arguably the big, like the headline game of the weekend, did you think it disappointed <clears> the <throat> game or did you think of it?
0: It wasn't too bad in the first half, but the second half, it just petered off massively mm. to the point of Atalanta were comfortable at Roma kind of trying to attack them. And Roma couldn't really do much. They they were kind of struggling to do anything once they got into that final third. And you saw the coaches, and in particular Mourinho, kind of shouting at the players, trying to like encourage them to get the ball into the box, because that's what they were struggling with, was trying to get Lukaku to link up. Dybala also was struggling mm. And he's a player that obviously feeds off that kind of knock-ons or at least those one or two touch combinations. And they just weren't doing any of that. And I I think there's a sense with Roma that they, they still need to do a bit of business, which is interesting because they're kind of floating about the idea of like selling the likes of Spinozola. Obviously, there's talks about you know, a wholesale potentially just to raise some funds. And obviously this kind of tax change as well has played a part as well. And the yeah. fact that they had to go and hijack that frozen target of Heisen from Juventus shows um, what they need to do now at this window. Um, it is quite desperate. It's down to the FFP that they broke a few years ago, which is coming to haunt them now. And this is going to be, I think a forever thing with Italian clubs mm-hmm. potentially, but Back to the game, Atalanta, I feel we're a bit unlucky on occasions, especially the VAR decision in terms of this penalty being given, which I feel is just an absolute farce, personally. I mean, it slowed down a bit like that Calvert-Lewin one that Mm -hmm. we spoke about on our WhatsApp chat. It's it's not a red card, uh, but it's one of those situations where it's not even a foul in itself. It's just the fact that it was just a bit clumsy in the way his leg is in that direction and it lands mm. on car's drop and car's drop and makes the most of it, which is a frustrating bit because that's what it- all you need to do is in that environment with Roma fans and obviously Mourinho jumping off his like high horse, basically. <laughs> he was that's all he was centre need, a stage so. again.
2: He was exactly. centre stage again. Um yeah, I felt I messaged you and I said, I think that might be one of the oddest penalties I've ever seen, but I need to watch it again. Yeah. The ball had completely gone. He wasn't looking in the direction of Karlsdorp, his leg was just kind of the momentum was taking it round. He happened to touch Karlsdorp. Really, it was just one of those where I think sometimes through our English lens, we think that VAR is much worse in England than it is anywhere else. <laughs> and then you see a decision like that and you're like, oh no, it's fucked everywhere. It's fine. And I feel like instead yeah, they're really the 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 thing seems to be looking for any contact. The second there's contact is the a penalty, regardless of regardless of what the contact is. And that looked yeah. like they were really, really looking for that one. Dybala throwing the ball that they didn't actually show who they threw who he threw the Pop ball. Was it at court miners? Okay, they kept cutting him out of shot. In the supposedly,
0: replays, but... he might have said something to put him off taking the okay. penalty. You see, okay. so, um, but just on your point on VAR, the same incident happened in Sassuolo when they won against mm-hmm. Fiorentina on Saturday evening. VAR rules out Forsfeld's second goal, which yes. should have been a goal, and it was deemed that the Sassuolo player, I've forgotten who it was, was deemed offside, but also interfering with the line of the goalkeeper's vision. Which was like, and the worst thing was, VAR sent the referee to make the decision. So it wasn't even VAR that made the decision there. So it was so weird. And then on the flip side, then going into the kind of Fiorentina incident where the penalty's given, but also um there's the other aspects of their version of their goal equaliser. So Quattro hits an equalizer but it isn't because it's deemed for the mm. kind of very similar thing but it's through phases so i won't bore everyone they can see it they can go and watch it but vr in italy is horrendous so if everyone says pl kind of var is awful no you haven't seen it definitely in syria that's the thing yeah it was
2: it has been a bit of a shambles and that decision really did uh leave me a bit perplexed i feel like roma deserved a goal i just felt quite bad for atalanta that he came like that but mourinho rubbing off on Debala. i don't think i've seen Debala act like that before That like kind of petulant and that kind of aggressive but you know he does mold players i think uh, to his form and um, of course mourinho was sent off in the end right i think
1: Yes, um, yeah, he, it was, he yeah.
2: stood. He stood on the line. The, my favorite bit was the ref telling him to go back in his box, and he just stood there, stood there, stood there, yeah. and he was like, "Jalopenme, me. Ja lo per me. <laughs> yeah, okay, give me your booking line. Fucking incredible, absolutely box office. Um, but we're going to leave um, Serie A there. I think that's all of the major games we've talked about. Milan getting a massive win. Empoli, look, mm. oh god, that was not much fun. Warful. But Loftus Cheek scoring Giroud with a penalty, and Chaka Traore with his first. Mm. Certainly, our goal for Milan on the break. Um, The only Empoli player I could slightly be um, complimentary about was Cambiago, who was trying so hard to do it all on his own, but got zero help. Um, I've delayed it for long enough. I think, Adam, it's time to talk. Ben, you ready to talk FA Cup?
1: Big time. Big
2: time. Let's do it. So we're going to talk about how horrible Christmas has been. Uh, Liverpool. Well, Arsenal nil. Liverpool two. Let's do it properly. Um, Frigging hell, I've not shouted at the screen that much in the first half for a very long time. Um, Some of the football we played was amongst the best we've played this season. And I thought, oh my God, we are absolutely, the, the, the quick attacks, the breaking through midfield, the defensive, like unity, everything. We just couldn't even attempt to hit a barn door, let alone hit the friggin' barn door. It was painful to watch. And the longer it went on, from about the 10th minute, I thought, Liverpool are just going to score and we're going to have nothing to offer once they do. And lo and behold, that's what happened. Um, once the young goal goes in off Kivior or Adam, he's not having fun at the moment at Arsenal. It's really no. not going well for him, unfortunately. Um, once that goal went in, it felt very much like Liverpool were able to manage the game. Um, Klopp kind of stunted on us a little bit, bringing on two players uh, for their debut, I think, which was an extra kind of kick in the balls. Um, and then, of course, Diaz shows Saka what he should have been doing the whole game by just spamming it into the top corner. Um, ben, I'm going to let you gloat a little bit. How much did you enjoy watching how painful that was for us?
1: No, I didn't enjoy it at all. I actually felt quite sorry for... No, I'm joking. I, um, <laughs> I, was, I
2: Don't feel sorry for us. I'd rather no, you enjoyed no, it, honestly.
1: The thing is, it's one of those things where, as much as it is beautiful to kind of divulge in... An arsenal defeat Mm -hmm. in that kind of manner as a spurs fan like some of the stuff that has been going around like since the game in terms of people doubting arteta and the players and that kind of stuff and some of the stuff that's been slung like saka's way it's just like it's so boring it's so just like but if you want to be critical about the game i think that like you said that was i think in the last couple of games obviously arsenal have kind of been stunted by fulham um who played well as well. That was a poor mm-hmm. performance from Arsenal and Fulham got it tactically spot on. Same as West Ham, really, although you probably created more in that game, even though I don't mm-hmm. think you created maybe the high quality, maybe the same yeah. volume of chances as Liverpool, but not necessarily the same quality of chances as as Liverpool. Um, so it kind of felt somewhere in between that. But it. I mean... I think into, as much as it is like bad, like because obviously a lot's been made about Havertz and kind of like that need for like a clinical striker and obviously Jesus was missing through injury. I just feel as though it's as much, and I, get, I have the same frustration with Tottenham sometimes, as much as it's poor finishing and not taking your chances, it's, ba- it's making bad decisions when it actually comes to those chances. It's not just a case of like not being clinical with your finish. It's like there were so many times, like the prime example was that chance where <clears throat> Saka it back on the right-hand side and then played it into Havertz, who then could, should have just squared back like an easy cut to Just hit it. Just this it. Yeah, yeah, or just or cut it back to Saka, who had an open goal. Yeah. Like, and then he tries to play it across the box. So I think Nelson, who was coming in off the left, and then it ends with Odegaard hitting the bar. And, I mean, as much as, again, like, there's been a lot of... There's always jibes from kind of like rival fans about Odegaard and... Not showing up in big games and stuff like that. I'm not being funny. I don't think he could have done it anymore. Like, and I don't think it no, was no, no, no. against yeah. West Ham as well. Like, he was pulling all of the strings. He was making everything tick for Arsenal in the first half yesterday, for the most part. And certainly against West Ham, it's just that, like, if you're him, I know, like, people like to joke about him flicking his hair and stuff, but, like, he must be pulling it out at this point because it's just like everything is going through him. And it's just his the kind of forwards in front of him are letting him down. But um, I mean, I, yeah, you could kind of see like the. I wouldn't say Liverpool turned the screw in the second half, but there was definitely a shift in momentum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, that's what Jurgen Klopp's sides, I think, have been very good at over the last few years, especially this season, is seizing opportunities in games. And yes, they got a bit fortunate with the goal, but there was a Diaz chance just before that where uh, Ramsdale made a really, really good save. Yeah. And from that moment, it kind of just felt like it was a great save from Ramazel. but that moment almost felt a bit ominous to me. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I, from my perspective, it's like um, you're kind of pushing for Liverpool goal. And usually, like, in my kind of, you know, I've been there so many times as a Spurs fan it's like, oh, you, you know what's going to happen here? Arsenal will score and you're just waiting for it. But it, to me, it almost felt different and it almost felt like Liverpool just sort of despite saying they didn't turn the screw, because I don't think they did. I think they just seized a bit of an opportunity. And it was, yeah. it was almost like when Ramsdale made that save, it just felt like Liverpool was starting to get the upper hand a bit. And with Trent's kind of quality from delivery uh, from those set-piece situations, I mean, it's unfortunate for Kivior, but like you could say he could do better. But I think sometimes you have to hand it to the quality of delivery. And then, like you said, Diaz's finish as well, that is conviction, especially to do like, there's one angle where it looks like it's a no-look finish as well which makes it even better as well it's just the like <laughs>
2: even better yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah. But like, yeah. You know, but yeah, and it was just like i don't know it's it's a strange one with arsenal at the moment because on paper like it doesn't look great one win in seven um and it feels potentially like obviously out of a carp, and the things you're kind of just you've got the champions league still to play for and the, the premier league as well and there's been a lot made about whether arsenal are in a top four battle or a premier league title race now but this can all change very quickly. Like, this mm. can all... That's can all change. Like, I mean, obviously, it's ominous with City having De Bruyne back, etc. And Haaland's return is on the horizon and stuff. But, like, things can change very quickly in the Premier League. We went through a phase, obviously, where we lost three or four games in a row, or whatever it was. And we were having the same issue in front of the goal. Where it's like, it wasn't the issue of, like, creating the chances. It was just not being clinical enough. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it only takes one game and then you get back into your groove and the momentum is back. So... Yeah, it's obviously a tough one to take, especially you know third, like in the third round. But I mean, this doesn't—I don't think—it defines Arsenal season. I do think a lot of the kind of comments after it have been over the top, and you know, that's from a Spurs fan. As much as I'd like to gloat yeah. and revel in well, the glory, of honestly, it, like, it just feels like it's been a little bit overblown to me.
2: I feel I'm the first to say that Arsenal have got amongst we are amongst the worst fans on the planet. So, like, a lot of our fans absolutely fucking infuriate me. And I knew the second that final whistle was blown, it would be a load of people who come on the same fan fan channels going, I was always right about Arteta. Loads of people crying out for Thomas Partey because they just don't get the message. And loads of people slagging off the Saka because they wait for the first opportunity. It's so infuriating. Um, It's unbelievable like but thankfully i know that the board don't listen to any of it and they are fully sticking with arteta he has transformed the club and as you said things turn very quickly on christmas day we were top, right yeah and now we're suddenly out of a title race like things do turn quickly i i was i took this one pretty hard because i think arteta there are questions about his cup record now like i know we won the fa cup under him in 2020 but we've now not got past the fourth round with him and we've been knocked out in the third round three times um We have gone out of the League Cup again, so we're out of both Cups before Christmas. We went out of the League Cup in horrible fashion as well, getting battered by West Ham. His record in Europe in general isn't great, like the Europa League, it felt like he kind of sacrificed it. So there's a big question mark about how we do in the Champions League. Porto is a tricky tie. Like, it's not the hardest, but it's definitely not the easiest. So I think there's a... I really thought an FA Cup run could do a lot of good for Arteta. Um, But ultimately we need someone who can friggin' score and Gabriel Jesus just doesn't play often enough and according to all the stories FFP wise unless we sell in, in Ketia or Smith Row, we're not going to be able to make any transfers I personally hope it's in Ketia. I'll be very upset if I see Smith Rowe leave um but the whole the whole mood seems pretty down at the minute which is a bit annoying, but not the end of the world. There's two weeks until we have to watch Arsenal in the Premier League again, so I can take a, lot, a bit of a break, which right now sounds perfect. Um, but Adam, for Liverpool, they're looking pretty ominous, right? They're slowly, quietly doing very well in every competition. They're in the Carabao Cup semi-finals. They're now through mm-hmm. to the next round in the FA Cup. The Europa League, I think, is kind of theirs to lose. Um, and of course, they're top of the Premier League. Do you think Liverpool could be on for a big season here?
0: I think they they should be considered as the outsiders at this moment time still, um, purely because I think we've still got to see how Man City now progress now that mm-hmm. they've got Kevin De Bruyne back in their squad. I, I, I still think you saw there's a bit of vulnerability about them in certain games. In particular, when you don't play it to their way, they get very frustrated. And I think that's what I was going to allude with you is whether Arteta could have maybe changed his tactics a bit more because it felt like Arsenal were trying to roll it into the net at times, yeah. whereas actually what Liverpool don't like is when it's against them and they don't like it up against them in terms of defensive aspects. I think what they were lucky was the likes of Trent Alexander had a great game and he kind of transitioned that ball from defence onwards. So I think he's been quite critical. I think there's still kind of that element of midfield as well. I think there's a bit of judgment around have they got a kind of considered midfield at this moment in time because although Alexis uh, McAllister's come back into the fold i think there's still elements that you have to question about them but look i I definitely think europa wise they should definitely potentially win that i think they are probably odds on to win the league cup as it currently stands against Mm -hmm. the teams that are in that competition still um it's whether whether they can be consistent over the rest of the season i think that's a big ask as well don't forget like if you're combining all those kind of games that they have to take on I think there's still going to be performances within them that they're going to struggle. But I think this key period is Salah, isn't it? Salah being out of the squad, can they cope with him being out? Some people actually say that without him, they might be a bit more sensible up top Mm -hmm. where they're not relying on him, essentially. So this is the interesting kind of transition bit of the season for Liverpool is, can they maintain results while he's still out of the team? And um, yeah, I suppose we'll wait and see, Rory. But I think there's a lot to play for still in this season.
2: There, we will see. I think Liverpool could be on for multiple um, silverwares this season, but we'll see how it goes elsewhere in the FA Cup. Let's talk Man City, I suppose. They beat Huddersfield 5-0. Um, De Bruyne did come back. And Ben, you get to play them in the next round. How do you feel? This is You should be confident. You always do,
1: City, right? Yeah. To be fair, well, I think we could be on for one of the great cup shocks. They could come and beat us. Who knows? Yeah. Mean, <laughs> they've, not, they've, still not, they've still not scored at our ground yet. But to be fair, all of those have been in the league and the Champions League. So the FA Cup might bring out a completely different kind of game. But I mean, it's one of those ones where I'd I'd absolutely love to win the FA Cup. I made a video about it the other day, sort of talking about, would you rather win the FA Cup or finish in the Champions League? Um, and for me, like, I would love to go on a good cup run. I'd absolutely love it. And the thing is, Gary Mabbott, who conveniently was the obviously the last Spurs captain to win the FA Cup, um, pulled Man City out of the bag as the away team. And um that just felt completely cursed and cruel. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like there's always gonna be something stopping Spurs. But you never know. Like he also said, like, you've got to, you know, if you wanna if you wanna be the best, you've got to beat the best, haven't you? So mm-hmm. I'd kind of rather play City now. And like if we get knocked out and you get beat narrowly by City and the performance is there. But it just doesn't quite go away. I think as a fan base, you can't there's, you can't criticize that at all. Like it is what it is. Man City are a juggernaut. Harland and De Bruyne are back around the corner. Obviously, Doku's back as well, um, and we'll have still have players missing. We should have everybody that's injured back by then. So Romero and Madison should be back as well. But it's just mm. we'll be still missing the Asia Cup and Afcon mm. boys, which is obviously a blow. Um, but who knows? Who honestly? Who knows? The FA Cup. Uh, it feels like you know it's a tantalizing kind of draw i feel like everybody like it's it's very rare that you see like two fan bases both upset with the draw like they don't want to play us and we don't want to play them even though our yeah. record against them at home and the fact that it's at home as well obviously adds a little bit um for it to us and we'll be we'll be bang up for it you know we we traditionally are a cup team despite the fact that we haven't won it since 1991 um but you know who knows it could be it could be it, yeah it could be a very it could be a classic cup tie we've had a lot against city in the past i remember we were 3-0 up against them against 10 men at half time and they came back and beat us 4-3 at white hart lane so there's history there in the fa cup so it yeah. should be it should be a great tie um city obviously it's hard to kind of judge against huddersfield but you kind of i think everyone probably knew they'd beat them 3-4-5-0 yeah. and they obviously ended up it, doing that so it was like you know it was a formality really but Yeah, Yeah.
2: it was never really a question, was it? I think Foden got most of the headlines with his goals and assists, a good performance from him. But again, without being disrespectful to Huddersfield, it is Huddersfield um, and we kind of expected it. But we're going to move on from, we're going to move on in the FA Cup, sorry, Mm. and we're going to talk, Adam, I'm going to go to you, Maidenhead, no way, Maidstone United (laughs) won, Stevenage nil. the scenes at the end. Well, before the game, let's start before the game. George Ella Kobe, mm. um, absolute Wolves legend. His pre match interview I'm was lost. just absolutely beautiful, where getting really emotional, talking about what it means to him. And then after the game, where he's talking about all I want is Wolverhampton Wanderers in the next round. I just <laughs> yeah. want to go to Molyneux. I want to take my boys to Molyneux. Just beautiful, beautiful stuff. And the celebrations mm. at the final whistle, Adam, it was incredible, right?
0: Yeah, it gives you the kind of uh, feel for what the FA Cup actually is and what it stands for, because I think we've missed that over the years, especially I think this weekend as well. It kind of reminded me of how upright and sort of, you know certain managers have in in particular the Premier League managers have over this competition I I didn't help you know you've got someone like Thomas Franks who used to be managing in the championship for a club that actually needed FA Cup money about Mm -hmm. five years ago if it wasn't for FA Cup money they wouldn't be where they are right now and um yeah it sort of disappoints me a bit especially you know Thomas Franks being in the position that he's in I would have expected him to stick up for the competition a bit more but look fantastic achievement by Maidstone because that's more than just the three rounds that is also qualifying rounds that they had to go through just to get to this stage so you know George Lacoby as well if you look at the history he's had to build his squad on bits and bobs you know he hasn't got a huge budget there and, um, yeah, I mean, there's obviously that personal story of George Elokobi as well. He talks about his dad and the fact that he, you know, passed away when he was 10 years old, you know. So there's a huge kind of sentiment there as well. I remember actually George Elokobi when he was coming through at Colchester United before mm. we snapped him up. And yeah. even then, he looked like a monster. You know, what we've been talking about Joseph Manyala and how he's actually like 42 <laughs> and he's actually came across yeah. as 13. Um, so, yeah. George Lacoby looks like that typical 20-year-old when he was like in the youth team at Colchester United. When I picked up a program and I saw him I was like what the hell is this guy but you know to see him actually play in the Premier League is something else but yeah I mean they've got Ipswich Town which you know still a good decent day out for them as well. And do you know what I still fancy them. They could yep. still pull it off as well so He's hoping and praying that they get through. But more importantly, thank you for beating Stevenage because I hate Stevenage with passion and I don't (laughs) like Steve Evans, that fat twat. Anyway, that's (laughs) enough about me.
2: It's always always a good thing to see him pissed off. I always forget where he is and then he just... Pops up and you're like, oh god, the guy still gets employment, the absolute tool. Um, yeah. he's there somewhere, but thankfully, he's not in the FA Cup anymore. Um, elsewhere, we should go up to the northeast, I suppose, one of the biggest ties of the round. Sunderland nil, Newcastle three. It was all a bit of a letdown. I feel like Sunderland started the game and just could not get out of their own half. It was massive, you could see. A young squad in Sunderland against the multi-billion dollar enterprise that is Newcastle and um, they would defend him well though and I tweeted out Daniel Bollard um Haylen's finest absolutely bossing it at the back and within two minutes he scores an own goal uh so the Anglo-Italian curse counts on Twitter as well that's good to see and Isaac getting two goals my main question here and um, um, me and my mates at home are discussing it on WhatsApp is job bellingham unlucky that he plays the same position as his brother ben um, because <laughs> it makes him stand out a lot more and i i was really underwhelmed i know it's against newcastle it's a yeah. difficult game but i thought he did not play well
1: no i agree i i i like job from you no, know, Spurs have kind of had links to him over the last few months. So I've kind of tried to keep an eye on him and sort of try and take away the fact that it's Jude Bellingham's brother. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, he wears Job on the back of his shirt rather than Bellingham to kind of try and get away from that name as well. And I love all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and from what I've seen of him over the course of the season, I do think there's a player in there. I do think, like you said, he's unfortunate that that comparison is never going to go away because part, not just because of the name, but because of the fact that he plays a very similar role. Um, and you know, I was underwhelmed by his performance, but I think. I was underwhelmed by Sunderland, really. It was all just like there was yeah. this huge build-up to the game and then it just almost felt like it just got a bit too much for them. I don't think it did for the defence. Like you said, I thought there were some really strong performances the back there and they were quite unlucky um, yeah. in some aspects. Like They defended like their lives depended on it, but I think Newcastle just had too much quality. But Job, he'll, he will become a good player. I'm still convinced that he will go on to be a Premier League player, whether that's mm-hmm. at the top end or you know whether it's Brentford, Brighton, Everton... Crystal Palace, whoever it is, like, towards the mid-table, maybe, or the lower end of the Premier League. And um, I just think that it was just a poor performance around. Like, I've been bigging up Jack Clark all season because I feel like it was a talent that Spurs wasted, really, and let go because he's mm-hmm. been ripping up the championship. And again, he just could not beat Trippier. 1v1, so yeah. many times against Trippier and could mm-hmm. not get around him. So, I don't think it was necessarily all, like... There was always going to be so much spotlight on Job because of that, but... I don't think it wasn't just him. I was disappointed by. I actually thought Alex Pritchard, who again, former Tottenham Youth Academy product, was probably the brightest spark for Sunderland. It feels like he's been like 29 for the last like 10 years. (laughs) He's been around for such a long time, but he had the shot that um, I think either hit the ball. It was close. It was very
2: close. Yeah, I remember like from when he was
1: at Tottenham as a kid, like his like dead ball quality and like his ball striking ability. I I thought he was going to be, like, I thought he was going to go quite far, but it never really panned Mm -hmm. out. Obviously, he was quite good at Norwich. Um, There's been calls for, I think, where Sunderland had a few injuries in the last few games, like, for him to play a bit more. And he's getting an opportunity now with Mick Bill coming in, who I'm just not convinced about as a manager. Mm -hmm. Like, he did wonders at QPR. And it just felt like he was almost a little bit like he loves himself a bit. He's like chocolate, isn't he? And it just feels like Mm -hmm. he took that Rangers job, despite turning Wolves down and then went to Rangers, which just felt odd. Like, um, yeah Sunderland obviously Tony Mowbray has gone to Birmingham is not it and it just kind of felt yes, bizarre yeah. as to why they let Mowbray go and obviously I think Mowbray could actually do quite a decent job at Birmingham mm-hmm. to sort of study the shit there but yeah I was disappointed by Sunderland I was disappointed by the game in a whole it was a great like the build-ups it was great and I was like yeah. you know it was one of those ones where you make sure you're home for it kind of thing like make sure you're not doing anything but it almost just but as soon as the own goal went in it just felt like yeah this is the way it's going to go and yeah, unfortunately it, it was. Because, yeah.
2: Yeah, I felt like it, it. It all hinged on Sunderland scoring the first goal, and the second they didn't. I was like, "Yeah, game over." In it, really. I do have to say, very quickly, I always enjoy seeing Luke 09 play, and absolutely yeah. love it at Sunderland yeah. since that Sunderland till I die document documentary. Obviously, everything at that club was a shit show. All the transfers were a shit show, but then bringing him in was yeah. such a good move. He seems like such a nice lad. That tackle on Lewis Miley was what incredible, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like proper old school agricultural tackle but fully in, just incredible and I just really like that he's become a bit of an icon at that club and I'm really happy that his career's turned out the way it has I just it was I, it just made me smile a little bit um yeah but Adam Newcastle stunting on Sunderland's pitch taking their uh, customary victory selfie on the pitch at the end um <laughs> Richard Keyes, old gibber mitts, got angry about it. Uh Do you think I'm it was sure a bit out of order?
0: <laughs> it's probably because they didn't do a lounge that had Richard Keyes around, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. his attire, Andy Gray cutouts or something like that. Like He's just missing his best buddy, wasn't he? Um, But yeah, no, I mean, what can you say? I mean, Newcastle were there for the taking, weren't they? And unfortunately, mm-hmm. just on the day, Sutherland couldn't do that quality bit and overturn them, but... I've got a good story to tell you about Luca 9. Luca 9, obviously being from a Wiccan player, um, I saw him on the golf course. Uh, didn't, didn't clock on he was actually there, but he, he didn't know where his ball was. So we we're just trying to tell him, like, it's just over there, mate, like literally over there. And then he mm-hmm. starts going through this bush like with this club, and he, he still can't find it. So in the end, he was like, have mean, any of you got like a spare ball?" It was like, "Yeah, here, here you go." I didn't realize it was Lugo Nine <laughs> until it, like he started like popping up, and that was Lugo Nine. So. Really nice guy. Um, And yeah, like you say, that documentary kind of sums him up. He is all heart and he gives yeah. so much time to fans. And it's just a lovely story. And I'm loving the fact that he's succeeding as well because he was released by Watford, I think, when he was 17. Yeah, yeah. So he's going through the non-league scene before he snaps him up. And yeah, seeing him blossom, it's just amazing. Even though it is Sunderland and their fans are a bit yeah. funny as well. So,
2: hey. <laughs> No, I absolutely loved seeing it elsewhere in the FA Cup because I'm very aware of time. Um, Brighton came from 2-0 down uh, to win 4-2 at the Potteries. Love to see it. Stoke City fans crying. Love it. They are not having fun at the moment. Um, Chelsea beating Preston 4-0. Aston Villa leaving it late. Matty Cash at the back right at the end in the 87th minute to deny Borough a second Cup run. Of course, they are still in the Carabao Cup coming up this week and goal of the round um any guesses guys i'm gonna go for it anybody says anything other than this goal i'm gonna be fuming no adam wrong ben
1: as much as i'd love to say pedro Porro, i mean you can't pass that (laughs) patrick bonford goal can you like that was just like unbelievable i know which one what a hit
2: what a hit what a hit incredible um just you see flashes of brilliance with Bamford, and then yeah, you don't see anything for a year. It's incredible, such a
0: confusing or, or he misses are. the most simplest of yeah. shots, right? That's yeah. what he does, but scores
1: that. That was like ridiculous. This sort of goal that you just like you don't, well, you don't see that often, you don't see it often for a reason. That is one of the hardest things to do, just like back to goal, chest it down like that, and then turn the volume. It's like the goal that sort of everyone dreams of scoring. It was ridiculous, mm-hmm. but like when you saw that it was Patrick Bamford, it was just like. He's had, he's had such a such a weird career, like especially since like it's, it is it's honestly so mad and but yeah good fair play to him. The funniest thing was is that when the ball went over the top, you could see on the side that for some reason Peterborough have got a flag with you know Big John the guy on TikTok yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, like with his
1: face just as the ball goes over and it was like this is the weirdest <laughs> thing about this goal It wasn't just a finish but yeah unbelievable goal, unbelievable goal.
2: Absolutely love it. Well Adam, I've just thought maybe he's the he's the English Darwin Nunez. Mrs. Tappins for scores bangers. English Darwin <laughs> Nunez. That's a very Bamford. good shout. <laughs> yeah.
0: One cap wonder as well. Is he a
1: one cap wonder? Though?
2: Yeah, I think he got one, right? I think, so. I think he got yeah, one. Yeah, I think
1: he did. He's um, definitely in a squad, yeah, for sure.
2: And finally, a derby that I didn't realise was a derby, Shrewsbury nil, Wrexham 1, Wrexham going through to the next round, a lot of spike and needle all around this game. James McLean, a great follow on Instagram for anybody, whether you love him or hate him, I love him, Is um, he just went off on his Instagram afterwards, at so all the um, Shrewsbury players and the Shrewsbury manager, I think it was, um, yeah, absolutely love it, didn't realise that was really a derby, I'll be honest. Um, but in the next round, as you said, we have Tottenham taking on Manchester City in what is probably the tie of the round. Chelsea, Aston Villa. I would be back mm-hmm. in Villa to make a, to get a result there. I, I think they could have a bit of a cup run. Fulham, Newcastle, Maidstone, as we said, have been rewarded with a trip to Ipswich. And Blackburn Rovers, Wrexham is an interesting one as well. Um, and that's it, guys. I think that's all the football. No, that is all the football. Adam, I anything so. we need to cover?
0: I think the only thing was we were going to do a little section on transfers if we've got enough. Transfer time, so. business.
2: Let's do it, Adam. What transfers are we talking about?
0: Well, I think we might as well start with our, like, obviously, co host as well. We might as well call him co host. We've got Ben to talk about Radu Dragasin as well, haven't we? And uh, obviously, the inevitable Eric Dyer going to Bayern Munich. I never thought that what? would ever happen.
2: Now, wait. What happened? This. This is classic on Football Manager when you sign a player from abroad <laughs> and they put the clause: "Can you sign a friend so I feel more at home?" Yeah. The second I saw that, I was like, "Oh, that's Harry Kane just going. Can you bring in Eric Dyer, please? So I've got a mate. It has to be, yeah. surely.
1: It's got to be." I've never. Like, I I love Eric Dyer, and I think I I don't like some. Like, obviously, we know that he's limited a player, limited as a player now, and isn't much used to Tottenham. But I've always kind of stuck up for him. But when I saw that, I was just like. I don't think anyone's like ever like failed upwards yeah. quite like that. It's quite yeah. remarkable. But good luck to him if he does go. Yeah. Just, I mean, this whole while we've been doing this podcast, the Dragoosian situation has changed remarkably. It's gone one way or another. Yeah. There were rumors coming out that obviously there, there was a lot of Bayern chat this morning saying mm-hmm. that he's on Bayern's list, and Spurs fans losing their minds about it. Uh, and then it came out that you know Spurs are still front runners, and then this evening it came out that he's close to joining Bayern. But now a lot of the... um, So, Florian Plettenberg, who is not my favourite Sky Germany journalist, Mm -hmm. after seeing his face every five minutes in the summer during the Harry Kane saga, um, he came out and said that Spurs are still the front runners. Bayern are interested, but understand that it's basically Spurs are very close to agreeing a fee. And then a lot of the English journos have kind of backed that up as well since. So yeah, there's been a lot of Spurs fans losing their heads on Twitter today over a player that most of them probably didn't know existed about two weeks ago. So, yeah. which is classic. That tends window. to be how January goes. Yeah.
2: Right? I yeah. hate the January yeah.
1: transfer window <laughs> so much. Like it gives us a lot yeah. to talk about, which is great, but like, it's just, but in terms of like Dragoosin as a player, again, there was Spurs were kind of originally linked with T- um, Tadebo from Nice. And I think, mm-hmm. A lot of fans, just because he's maybe a bit more of an established name, he's a couple of years older, there's been a bit more hype around him. Obviously, he's been to Barca and come back. And mm. I think generally with French players who obviously played in Ligue 1 and played in uh, La Liga, there was naturally going to be a bit more hype around him. And I understand why people might be a bit more excited about that. But from what I've seen of and I have you know I think he... At the end of the day, like at the start, he's coming in to be a backup. And then hopefully with European football next year and whatever format that is, whether it's Conference League, Europa League, Champions League, who knows... Um, we will get more game time and you know, provide a really good competition for Romero and Van De Ven. And from what I've seen and from what a lot of people have said, it feels like a really good bit of business from Spurs. Um, so hopefully we get it over the line. I think there's been questions over yeah. his ball-playing ability. Obviously, you guys would have seen more of him than I have. I've tried to watch as much as I can, but it feels like that's kind of been the main thing that people have maybe mm. said about him. But at the end of the yeah. day, also he's playing in a... Um, a Genoa side that you know are kind of lower mid-table, not as progressive on the ball. Those abilities aren't going to kind of shine through, if it, as it um, uh, shine through as much as if he was playing for a side competing for European football or trying to be more progressive, etc. Yeah. So, I think it's one of those things where, also, like I think a lot gets talked about about playing out for the back in Spurs' system when actually what it really is is just playing simple passes into the midfielders quickly and getting us up the pitch. Like yeah, yeah. you don't have to be you know, the best ball-playing centre-back in the world to be a success in this system. So, I'm excited about it. Hopefully, we do get it over the line because, obviously, we've got a Man United trip at the weekend looming without um, Romero. Van de Ven should maybe play. Obviously, he was on the bench against Burnley on Friday. I think Postacogli wanted to bring him on, but the game situation just didn't really allow for it. Obviously, we needed to score a goal and I think it would have been one of those where if we were 3-0 up, it would have been good to get 20-30 minutes into his legs. But, you know, he'll so he'll probably play, it's just who partners him. And obviously Ben Davis is injured now as well. So and that's the thing as well, like even if he did come in this week, there's no guarantee that he'd start anyway. Like it, obviously we might talk about Werner, but I think with an attacking player, it'd probably be easier to slot in into Ange's yeah. system and kind of especially where he's already played in the Premier League, whereas with Dragoosin it maybe feels like just give him a bit of time to kind of settle and adapt first. Um mm. but then again, Postacoglu has kind of been very brave with a lot of his selections. Um, in terms of giving players chances that you didn't necessarily think were going to come, uh, going to play, or or whatever, or in terms of, you know, or, or whether that's the way he sets up. So I'm excited. Hopefully, it's one that Spurs can get over the line because we do need mm. to send the back in this window. Um, but I think one thing that's been good about Spurs and, uh, since Paratici has come in, and obviously he's not officially working with Spurs, but this <laughs> one has got his hands written all over it, hasn't it? Um, it? ever since he came in and kind of, you know, especially since Postacogli, it does feel like if Spurs don't feel like they can get who they want, then they will move on very quickly. And it felt Mm. like that with Tadebo. So they've moved on to Dragosin and I feel like now they're confident of getting it done. Bayern are obviously interested. Napoli are interested. But for me, that just points towards a good sign of him being a good player. So hopefully we can get it over the line. Apparently he wants the Premier League more than any other league. So we shall see.
2: We will see. It's an exciting one for sure. I've just seen another exciting... um, any football manager players will be very excited about this. Brighton closing in on Boca Juniors wonder (laughs) kids, Valentin Barco. This is a player that everyone has been signing on football manager this year. Um, incredibly exciting player. Of course, he's going to Brighton. Just the idea of that transfer brought a smile to my face. I've just seen Fabrizio Romano treat about it. That is unbelievable. That great business continues. But Adam, I'm going to jump to probably the funniest story of the transfer window. Um, good news guys. Um, homophobia has been solved in Saudi Arabia um, super ahead of time. Congratulations, Jordan <laughs> Henderson. Yeah, you've well done it. Done. We yeah. all doubted you, but you've managed to prove us all wrong. And Jordan Henderson will be coming back to join Chelsea, apparently. Adam, what do you make of this signing? Chelsea going to sell Gallagher to Tottenham in order to bring oh, in Henderson? God.
0: That that sounds such a backward step, doesn't it? I mean, just why would you do it when you've got a player? I mean, I'm sure Ben loves the idea. At least they're getting a really decent midfielder, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Like be Everybody wants Gallagher, right? And I'm yeah. sure
0: Rory, the Tory, as we call him, Rory Jennings, will uh, be on the soapbox <laughs> talking about yeah. <laughs> how this is a terrible move for Sam Gallagher. How could he, you know, join Spurs, etc., etc.? Um, But yeah you know, the turnaround of events for not just Jordan it has to be said, there's been a number of players that have moved to Saudi that are now changing their minds. They are actually now going the other way. Shock. horror! Oh, no. right. It didn't really work. <laughs> that no. <laughs> and I was going to pl- plant this. Does this mean that we're going to suddenly have a change of philosophy? Because it does feel like these Saudi Arabians were kind of gearing themselves to buying this world cup. But mm-hmm. given that this might send a negative vibe about their league now, do you think now Saudis are going to invest in clubs around Europe to kind of buy that trust again? Because, you know, there was rumours about Inter potentially being taken the, by Saudis. Those, those rumours are still being, ongoing. Yeah, 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 I think we're going to see a lot of this going on going forward. So uh, that's probably for another pod in itself, Rory. Um, but yeah. Um, but just Jordan George Henderson, welcome
2: Henson. back welcome
0: back we should do a feature like jordan mitts as well like rich keys but with jordan (laughs) Henderson and his little phrases right
2: (laughs) we can work on it we can work on that i think um i think i just pray that his signing on his signing video is conducted by adam crafton and he does the interview yeah, yeah. i really want that adam Crafton there to be the welcome back interview of like so how was your time in saudi Arabia? Yeah. <laughs> um we, it has to happen it has to happen um adam any other transfers you wanted to talk about i've got one more but i'm gonna let you go first any other transfers you wanted to cover
0: uh, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. The one that we all laughed on our group was Martial being offered a five-year <laughs> contract at Man United. That was <laughs> classical after they kind of said that he was going to go. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just curious where David De Gea ends up personally. He's still, Isn't he still training in Spain? Still knocking second, about. Yeah, yeah. Group. Um, yeah, so it'd be interesting to see where he ends up. But I think there's going to be a few out-of-work players that might get snapped up on the final day of this window. I've just got a feeling across Europe that's what's going to happen unless certain moves happen. So, um, yeah, watch this space. That's all I'd say.
2: Uh, The last story I wanted to cover today, of course, is Arsenal. Um, It came out of nowhere today, but Sasha Tavolieri, who we've actually had on the podcast, absolute legend, um, turns out he's really big in Belgian football. He leaked, he kind of released a story that Andre Onana has been um, kind of approached by Arsenal um, around 50 million pounds, apparently. Um, fairly advanced talks from what he's been saying that Anana wants the deal Everton aren't holding out for a lot of money um, obviously because <laughs> they need all the money they can get Yeah. Um, and it seems to me like a perfectly opportune signing I think it kind of hinges on the fact that if we can get rid of Thomas Partey if we can ship him off to Saudi Arabia that would be fantastic um, should have done it two years ago but anyway yeah um, I think it hinges on that, but if we could get the deal done, I think that would be the perfect signing. In that number eight role, we could maybe play habits a bit more advanced, give him a kind of more of an attacking midfield role rather than getting him to do the defensive work. I think it could be really clever signing. He's a player like, I'm going to go to you, Ben, I don't know about you, but he's a player that, in a struggling Everton team, on his day, has really impressed. It just concerns me
1: about consistency. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I think he's quality. I think he's a really, really good hmm. player, but, and and to be fair, again with Everton last season when times were tough, he really did dig in. He's I think he's a player that you can rely on. But I also think I when obviously Spurs played Everton pretty recently, and he is one of those players that naturally stands out on the pitch because of his physique and the way he carries the yeah. ball. And I was watching him quite closely, um, and I just thought that like he tends to fade a little bit in games. Uh, I don't know whether that's just because you know it's, he's doing a lot of work in that midfield or not, and maybe at a big club he could kind of disguise that a little bit more, but. I think there are concerns maybe around some elements of his game, but I think that would be a, a great move for Arsenal. But I don't mm-hmm. know whether it's like... It's almost like I don't know if that's the sort of midfielder that Arsenal do actually need. It kind of feels like you're crying out more for someone who could play in that advanced eight role instead of Havertz, potentially. But, I mean, to add Anana and then chip party off to wherever feels like very, very good mm-hmm. and astute business. So if you could do that, then... And then, if you, especially as well, like you know, Arsenal are going to be back competing in the Champions League for the foreseeable and, you know, competing on all fronts. So, to have someone who can also then be the understudy to Rice in certain games and Mm -hmm. not have to use Rice as much or... Because, again, Rice isn't a player that we've... You know, I don't want to give you the uh, kiss of death, but, you know, Rice's injury record isn't bad. Like, I don't think he's spent that much time out. So... But you never know how that's going to change with the volume of games and the demand with playing for England all the time and stuff like that so I think it'd be a very smart signing but I just think that like from what like some of my Arsenal mates and some stuff I sort of see it feels like the need for like a more of a advanced midfielder is more prevalent but then you get like you know I'm not as in it as like yeah you know I so.
2: ultimately I want us to sign a player that means we can rest for Kai Oshaka at some point in the next 10 years but if this yeah. is the signing we're going to make then fine I'm 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 resigned to the fact that we're not going to sign a striker whatever i just wish we had someone to push saka a little bit and mean that we could rest him but anana excited me a bit and i thought yeah that could be a very very clever signing we will see um arteta as always keeping his cards very close to his chest and insisting that we won't be doing much business but we've heard that before Mikel. we do not believe you nobody (laughs) believes you um Guys, we're finished for today. I think that's everything. Um, thank you for joining us. Thanks. For, I hope the audio is okay because I'm on my crappy headphones. I hope it sounds all right. Um, right. Thank you for putting up with us and thank, thanks for coming back. Um, it's yeah. been fantastic to be back. We will be back on Friday again with another episode. You can find us on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod, on Instagram and on TikTok at anglo Um And Adam, anything to say before we let these people go and we let Ben say goodbye? yeah
0: just one plea if you're on tiktok please follow us because we're keen to get to 1k followers so we can do some lives so that would be really appreciated i only found this out that you had to have 1k to do bloody live i mean what the hell is that all about but yeah we have to get to 1k followers before we can do that so appreciate it. if you're on tiktok follow us that'd be really appreciated and we'll hand over to ben
2: yeah beautiful ben thanks for coming on man uh when our listeners and viewers want to find you where can they find you online
1: um they can find me our ben talks football on tiktok mm-hmm. search the same thing on twitter you'll find me as well um and there and yeah and all i want to say is timo Werner is scoring at old Trafford next week <laughs> um, Ooh! I can't do anything about it. Ben's I'm been gonna... singing the
0: chant already on his TikTok. <laughs> I've seen yeah. it. I haven't Vern been on... on live.
1: I've just been on that kind of incognito mode, just watching. <laughs> just it, watching so. it in the background. Yeah. <laughs> it's Werner on the dance floor. That's all I'm going to say. Beautiful.
2: I love it. I love it. I love it. Great. Well, guys, thank you for joining us. We will see you on Friday to preview all the weekend's action. Grazie. Ciao. Addopo. Network.